Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, I've got a couple of announcements as we begin our service this morning. Uh, or begin this uh, the message portion of it. Uh, first of all, we are, I'm going to be starting a new men's group. Uh, it's going to be 12 weeks. It's a very confidential and private men's group. It's going to be going through the video series called Conquer. It is for men dealing with sexual integrity issues. Um, if pornography or an issue such as that or other sexual integrity issue uh, is prevalent in your life, we want to help you through that. That is one of the ways that I believe that Satan really attacks uh, men in our society. And so I want to, uh, we want to offer that to you. It's going to, again, be very confidential. So in order to join that, you need to contact me. You can email me personally at Aaron at jcgillette.com. It's E-R-I-N at jcgillette.com and uh, join that and be a part of that. And we're going to keep all of that kind of just as a confidential, confidential group. Um, second thing, <laughs> that I want to encourage you to do is just be praying for uh, not only the, the world situation, but especially for Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine, we have special connections in our church uh, to Ukraine. Even a couple of our worship team members here today, uh, Daniel that was on the piano and, um, and Dave who was playing the electric guitar, uh, are very connected. Daniel's family is from Ukraine. He has relatives that, that are there now. Um, and uh, Dave had just adopted a, a child from Ukraine as well as uh, others in our congregation. The file family, especially, they've adopted many. And I know that there's some others that are, it's in the process that they are trying to adopt from Ukraine. So please be praying for that situation. Um, and uh, it just reminds me of what Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. When he says, these will be the signs of the end of days, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, you'll hear um, kingdoms will rise up against kingdoms or nations against nations, that's ethnic, ethnos in the Greek, and so ethnic group, racial tensions will happen and you'll hear wars and rumors of wars, we are definitely hearing those kind of things, so just be praying uh, for the Lord's uh, leading. Uh, Today we are starting a brand new sermon series, the sermon series is called 10 Great Words for Life, where we are going to be taking a very fresh very real, very pertinent look at the Ten Commandments. Uh, You may think, well, what does that have to do with anything? That's Old Testament. We're New Testament. Um, It has everything to do with life. Uh, The old and the new is really God's word. So you need to understand both the old and the new as you understand God. Let's pray and let's get into this message here today. Father, help us to hear from you. May you be honored and glorified here in this place. We want you to receive the praise and the honor and the glory that you are due. This is not about us. It's not about any person. This is about the worship of you, growing close to you, knowing you in a deeper way, in a very real way. Help us, Lord, to have that real connection with you, that real deep relationship with you that you offer to us through your son, Jesus. I pray today for the people of Ukraine, Lord, that you would be with them and help them through this time, through an evil time of life, Lord, that you would just be with them. I pray for the believers, the people who are your followers that are in the midst of that situation, that you would protect and be with them. I pray, Lord, that you would 
oversee and you would intervene and you would do something miraculous here. Lord, as we are looking at world events and seeing how, how things are just unfolding around us, and it just seems to parallel things that you said in Matthew 24, how things out of the book of Revelation seem seem like the, the, they're getting closer and closer, help our hearts to be prepared to meet you, that we do not want to miss you, Lord. We don't want to not be prepared in our hearts for you. And so, Lord, if there are people in this room or watching today that don't know you, make this the day where they develop a relationship with you for the very first time. Lord, now teach us through your word. Help us to have a fresh perspective of the Ten Commandments and why you gave them and why they matter to us. Be with us now, Lord, as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the purpose of today is an introduction. This is an introduction to the whole series that we are going to be going into. Next week, we'll start in the first commandment, and we will follow on from there. But today is the introduction. The reason for the introduction is it's important that you have to understand the context and the flow of the story in order for the Ten Commandments to make sense. If I asked you, you know, what are your first thoughts and impressions on doing a series on the Ten Commandments, or what are your first thoughts and impressions on the Ten Commandments, you may think things like this. Well, the Ten Commandments is just a list of rules. It's a list of regulations. It's a checklist. Um, it's a list of laws that we're supposed to keep. Uh, you may think, well, again, that's Old Testament thinking. We're in the New Testament. That doesn't really pertain to us anymore. Maybe that's your thought. Again, if that is your thought or if any of those are your thoughts, then you don't really understand the purpose of the commandments that God gave. There is a specific purpose. They are as relevant today, if not more so, than they were at the moment that they were given to the Israelites in the book of Exodus. Today, we're going to get to begin that journey of looking at them from a very fresh, fresh perspective. Uh, again, you may think, well, the Ten Commandments, again, we're under grace, we're under Jesus. Did you know that Jesus loved the commandments? He loved the commandments. In fact, it says as much in multiple different places in the New Testament. John chapter 14 Verse 15 and then verse 21, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now we know that these are God's commandments because Jesus himself was the creator. He is fully God. He was there at the foundation of the world. And so he gave these commandments. If you love me, keep them. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will reveal myself to him. Again, many think the commandments are just a list of rules that need to be followed. The problem is that's not the heart behind the commandments. You've got to understand what's the heart behind the commandments that God gave. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So the question we are going to be wrestling with is, what is the purpose of the commandments? Why did God give them? Why were they given to humanity? Uh, what is the context in which the commandments are given? What's the flow of the story, and how does it relate to us today? Do you, do you know the answer to those things? If you don't, then this is going to be a very pertinent series for you as we jump into this. In 1 John chapter 2, it says these words, Now we know that we have come to know Jesus, come to know him by this, if we keep his commandments. So there is a real expectation of God that we do keep his commandments. But again, it's understanding what is the heart of the commandments that have been given. 
goes on to say this, the one who says, I have come to know God, I have come to know Jesus, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Those are harsh words. If you say, I know Jesus, but you do not keep the commandments, you are then lying because you don't really know him, and the truth will not be in you. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God is truly made perfect. The commandments of God are not a legalistic form that we follow, but it is the heart of God that we naturally desire to do when we come to know him. They are more relevant for us today than ever before. When you come to know Jesus, the natural desire is, I want to keep the commands that God has given. Jeremiah, in the Old Testament, wrote these words, these prophetic words about the commands of God. He says this, but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. It is a declaration of the Lord, of Adonai. I will put my law, my Torah, within them. Yes, I will write it on their heart. They will be, I will be their God and they will be my People Again, it's not just a list of rules and regulations. It's given and it's written on our hearts. So much so that it becomes the natural desire of the follower of Jesus to do what God has said, to follow what God has said, to live out what God has said. We should really love the commandments of God. We should honor the commandments of God and they should be on our hearts. The natural desire, the natural outflow. Well, to understand the Ten Commandments, you've got to understand, again, what I've mentioned, you've got to understand the context and the, fl- excuse me, and the flow. The context sets the stage of why the commandments were given. They were not just thrown into the middle of the book of Exodus with no reason whatsoever. God, again, didn't just throw them in there as a list of rules. There is a reason behind why God gave those, and that's the entire context that leads up to that. So we are going to go through the context and try to understand that today. The Ten Commandments, just think about this, they are about a relationship, That's what the Ten Commandments are about. It's about a relationship. Let me give an example of this. If you're married, you probably stood up before a pastor or whoever did the wedding, but you stood up before a pastor most likely and you did a bunch of vows. The vows were the commitments that you were making each to the other. You were making a series of commitments, agreements, and promises to each other. So if you're married... You got up there and you said uh, that you do and you will and you promise to love and to cherish, uh, love, honor, and cherish till death do us part. Remember, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, those were the promises that you were making. The Ten Commandments is the promises and the agreement that you make to God when you come into a relationship with him. It's it's like a marriage ceremony. You're standing before God. You're standing before him saying, I I promise this is what I want to be. This is what's flowing out of my heart. So let's look by way of introduction at some things here in, for our introduction message. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at our condition. We're going to look at God's grace. And then we're going to look at God's expectation. Let's start with our condition. The condition is where were we at prior to knowing God? That's the condition. And you can put in parentheses under that slavery and bondage. The story that I need to tell you 
starts really for us in the book of Exodus, but actually you've got to understand a little ahead of that in order to make sense of the book of Exodus. So let me tell you just the story of the Bible in brief. Let's go back to the book of Genesis, and let's start with a guy by the name of Jacob. Now, Jacob was a deceiver. He was kind of a sleazy guy. He wasn't the best of guys. If you know anybody in your life named Jake or Jacob, that's who they are. They're a deceiver. They're, they're, I have a father-in-law named Jake, so I had to say that and throw that out there. Jacob, okay, wasn't the greatest of guys. He had an encounter with God. And in the encounter with God, he wrestled with God and he was broken at that moment. He developed a brand new appreciation for and relationship with God in that moment and he would be broken for the rest of his life. But in that breaking, God gave Jacob a brand new name. He said, your name is no longer Jacob, your name is now Israel. Israel would be the name of the ultimate nation that would come out of this. Israel is the father of that. Israel had 12 sons. The 12 sons of Jacob or Israel would become the heads of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Most Jewish people today can still trace their lineage back to one of the 12 tribes. Most know which tribe they belong to. One of the 12 tribes. So here you have Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. Then you have him having 12 sons. I can't imagine what that household was like. You couldn't keep food in the refrigerator with 12 sons. I know that. It probably was chaotic. They had sibling rivalry back and forth. In the 12 sons, there was one son, the second from the youngest, that the father, Jacob, Israel, loved, it seemed like, more than everybody else. His name was Joseph. Joseph was loved by the father, but because of sibling rivalry, the rest of the sons did not like him. They wanted to get rid of him. Not wanting to really kill him, they threw him into a pit, and then they sold him into slavery in Egypt. So Joseph went from his homeland in slavery into Egypt. Well, in Egypt, God had favor on Joseph, and Joseph rose to the number two position in the country. He was very powerful, had a lot of influence, a lot of authority, and a lot of prestige. God had given Joseph a supernatural vision. And the vision was that we are going to have seven good years, and then we are going to have seven very lean years, famine years. A big famine is going to hit the region. But, Joseph, we are going to give you seven good years first. So Joseph started to prepare. He started to store up get himself ready, get the country ready. He built storage facilities in order to have enough food to be able to survive the famine. Well, the famine came and it hit the land. It didn't just hit Egypt, it hit all of the region. One of the areas of the region is where all of his brothers lived and their father. They lived there, they hadn't prepared. Now they were starting to starve because the famine hit everyone. They had heard that Egypt had food, so they took the families and they went to Egypt. There, they encountered their brother Joseph, the one that they had sold into slavery, the one that they probably thought was long dead from that point on. They encountered him, realized the power that he had, had reconciliation and repentance together with the family, and everybody was restored. 
all of the family members, all of the uh, aunts and uncles, all of the cousins, all of the family members, the servants, the friends, the cattle, the livestock, they all moved to Egypt to be where Joseph was and to survive the famine. Well, they never left. They stayed there. And they began to grow in numbers. They started having more and more kids. They began to multiply. They began to have more and more influence. They were beginning to move into more and more parts of the country. Well, that worried the current Pharaoh. 400 years now has passed from the time that the Israelites got into Egypt to where they are at today in Exodus chapter 1. Let's look at it. Now there arose... A new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel are too numerous and too powerful for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or else they will grow even more numerous, so that if war breaks out, they may join our enemies, they may fight against us, and then escape from the land. So, in response to that, They set slave masters over the Israelites to afflict them with forced labor. And they built Pytham and Ramses as storage cities for Pharaoh. But the more they afflicted them, the more the Israelites multiplied and the more they spread. So the Egyptians dreaded the presence of Israel. They worked them harshly and made their lives bitter with hard labor with mortar and brick, doing all sorts of work in the fields. It's a miserable situation. It's a hopeless situation. It's a despairing situation. It's an oppressive situation, but it gets worse. And here's how it gets worse. In all their labors, they worked the Israelites with cruelty. Moreover, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. One of them was named Shifra. And the other was Pua and said, when you help the Hebrew women during childbirth, look at the sex. If it's a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. One of the things that he tried to implement was population control. And the way you control a population or the way you control a nation is you either wipe the children out or you get to the minds of the children. If you want to change a society... You start with the kids. And if you could change them, you will change the rest of society. That's why we are starting to face things today because the ones who have been under the most attack have been the children in our society. Control the population, wipe out the children, remove them from existence or get a hold of their mind. So you see this, they're in pain, they're in suffering, they're in slavery, they're in bondage. They are being oppressed and it's these hard taskmasters that are really hurting them. They are worn out, they're feeling hopeless and helpless and in despair in a situation that they're in. Now, this is in the Old Testament a metaphor of what it's like for you and I prior to knowing the Lord. When you did not know the Lord, you were in despair. You were in bondage to sin. You had addictions that were overwhelming you. You were depressed. You were hopeless. You were helpless. You had no joy. You had no purpose. And that's what the world looks like apart from Christ. It looks like the picture that we just see here in the book of Exodus. 
In fact, when you come to know the Lord, you are finally set free from the life of sin and bondage that you have been in. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us as much. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it says these words. Paul writes, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You, I mean, you were walking around. You were, you were like zombies walking around. You just didn't have the life of God in you. You were physically alive, mentally alive, but you had nothing with God. Spiritually, you were dead. You were dead because of in your trespasses and sins. That's what keeps you dead. At that time, you walked in the way of this world. That means you just did what everybody else in the world did. You thought what everybody else in the world thought. You went along with what everybody else in the world says to do. All of that was just in conformity to the ruler of the domain of the air. What that means is that was Satan's plan. Satan's plan was to keep the world enslaved in bondage, following through with the things that are anti-God. This is according to the ruler of the spirit who is now operating in the sons of disobedience. Satan is still at work. He is still operating in the world. We all too, we too all lived among them in the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. By nature, we were children of wrath, just like the others. What is Paul saying? He's saying you were, your mind was a mess. Your life was a mess. You didn't have God. You were walking around. Though you were alive, you were still a zombie because you did not have the life of God in you. Your mind had been corrupted. You were following the cravings of the world. You were headfirst into sin, and it was just the way the world operated. And nobody thought twice, and we just went with the flow. And it's the way that Satan wanted it because he is the controller and the ruler of this world, of this darkness in the world. And because of that, we were destined for wrath. We were under the wrath of God that is going to be poured out on a world like this. Life was just absolutely a mess, spiritually dead, physically suffering, pain and misery, heartache and despair, sadness, doom and gloom. That was our condition. And then God stepped in. Next point is God's grace, and that is freedom. Grace is the unmerited favor and kindness and love of God that comes and meets me where I'm at in the midst of my darkness, depression, doom and gloom, pain and misery, despair. God comes to me and meets me right where I'm at. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to God. You don't have to get right to come to God you have to receive God coming to you. He reaches down in your deep, deepest, darkest pit of despair and grabs hold of you. That's what grace is. Religion is man's attempt to try to reach God. Relationship with Jesus is Jesus reaching down to pull us out of the pit of despair that we're in. God's grace is an amazing thing, and I want you to see this turning back to the book of Exodus as our going through the context. Exodus chapter 2, the people are suffering, the people are in misery, the people are in pain, and here's what it says. Now it came about over the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. The children of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out, and their cry from slavery went up to God. God heard 
They're sobbing and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the children of Israel and he was concerned about them. They cried out and God was concerned for them. God had concern. In the same way, God has concern for you and myself as well. With whatever it is you're going through, God sees it and God has concern. So what does God do? He is going to call Moses. And he's going to say, Moses, you're going to be my chosen vessel. You're going to be the deliverer of the people. Moses, get ready. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush scenario. In this burning bush scenario where God was calling Moses to do his work, God says this, one of the most amazing verses in all of the Bible. Then Adonai said to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I want to point out several words to you here. Look what he says. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their slave masters, for I know their pains. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land into a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is what is called grace. This is the gospel message in the Old Testament. This is the good news revealed before Jesus was even on the scene. You know what the good news is? It's this. God looks at you and he says, I see your affliction. I see what's going on. I hear your cries at night. I hear your prayers. I hear your sufferings. I hear your, your hurting. I, I hear it. I, have, I, I know your pain. I know it. And I'm not going to stop there because I care about you. So I have come down to deliver you. That's the gospel message. That's what Jesus does for every one of us. He says, I've seen where you're at. I see your pain. I see your sin. I see your addiction. I see your turmoil. I see your hopelessness. I hear it. I know it. I'm coming down for you. That's relationship. Religion, again, God, a man's reaching up to God. Relationship, Jesus reaching down to us where we're at. I read you earlier Ephesians 2, 1, and, 1 through 3, but I want to show you verses 4 and 5. Remember 1 through 3, uh, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins according to the way of the world, the functioning of the world. Your mind was corrupted. But here's the good news. It says, but God was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved you. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Jesus, the Messiah. By grace, you have been saved. You ever taken those verses personally and just read them, put your name in the blank or just put me and just read it that way? Because of his great love with which he loved me, he came to me. He came down for me. Why? To set us free. 
to set you free from the captivity that you've been, to set you free from the addictions you've been in, to set you free from the sin that has overwhelmed you, to set you free from the hopelessness you feel, from the despair that you feel, he came to set you free. That's the grace of God. Well, how would he set the people free? Well, he's going to give a series of 10 events that are going to happen. We often refer to them as 10 plagues. There are 10 miraculous movings of God. Now, the first nine did not set the people free. The first nine were precursors to the big one. The first nine were very, uh, very motivating. I think that they were very eye-opening, but they did not do the work to set the people free. Do you know what finally set people free? It was the final one. It was the blood of the lamb that set the people free. It's the only thing that can do the job. In the same way, you can try to come up with all kinds of ways to get to God, all kinds of avenues to try to reach God, but there is only one way. It is only by the blood of the lamb that you will ever be set free. Once the blood of the lamb is spilled, once the death of the firstborn happens, the people are finally let go. Exodus 13, the people are let go. Exodus 14 through 18, the people are walking with God in this new freedom, trying to figure out what this is all about. They don't do it very well. They mess up a lot in this little four chapters of Exodus 14 through 18. God brings them to a place called Mount Sinai. And as he brings them to Mount Sinai, he's going to have an encounter with them. Exodus 19 and 20 are that, are that encounter Here's what it says, and this is God's expectation. Now, what is the expectation? Well, this is my response to freedom. So I'm in bondage. I'm a mess. I'm hopeless. God comes down and sets me free. And then once he sets me free, now is the expectation of what this relationship is going to look like after I have been set free. Here's what he says. Exodus 19, verses 3 through 5. Moses went up to God. Adonai called to him. From the mountain, saying, Say this to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. Now then, if you listen closely to my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my own treasure from among all people, for all the earth is mine. So God is saying, Get ready, because now I'm going to speak to you about this relationship that we have just entered into. In fact, in, verse, in Exodus 19, he goes on to say this. Moses, tell the people to get ready because in three days, I am going to speak to them. He says this, on the third day, be prepared. Have you ever heard that little phrase before, on the third day? It's pretty significant in our faith. What happened on the third day? Jesus rose from the grave. Why God chose to do it on the third day, I think is pretty symbolic and pretty significant because I'm going to speak to you about a newness of relationship on the third day. That newness of relationship we got to have with Jesus because he rose from the grave on the third day. So he said, be ready. Lightning would flash. Thunder would crash. The, the mountain was just basically God's presence there among the people. And God turned to Moses and he said these words. Then God spoke to all, uh, spoke all these words, saying, "I am the Lord, Adonai, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me." 
not create for yourself an idol or any likeness, not worship that idol. He poured out the Ten Commandments when, as a response to the relationship that they have started, God's saying, I saw you where you were at. I set you free. Now, here's what I expect in return, that you don't put anybody else ahead of me, that I become number one in your life. You know, in the church world, we have often sold Christianity as a, as a, a basically a, a get-out-of-jail-free card, like the Monopoly game. You land on the jail space, you roll the dice, you end up in jail, and you play the card and you can get out of jail. And we've approached God in that way many times. God, you're my get-out-of-jail-free card. You're my get-out-of-hell card. But that's not what it's about. When you come to the Lord... God comes to you with expectations in the same way that I shared earlier. When you get married, you can't say to your wife, well, yes, I'll have a relationship with you, but I'm going to have these other relationships on the side. If you've done that, you're a mess, okay? You're just absolutely a mess. The wife cannot say to the husband, yeah, I'll take you, but I want these other relationships on the side. No, it doesn't work like that. I commit to you you're my wife, I'm your husband. I promise you these things. The Ten Commandments are the marriage ceremony. It's the wedding event where you have said, God, thank you for setting me free. Because you have set me free, you've changed my heart. Now out of my heart, I wanna follow you. And these commandments are not burdensome. They're not heavy, they're just the natural byproduct and outflow of a heart that has been set free. If your heart has been set free, then the Ten Commandments become part of the agreement, the love letter to God. God says, I see your affliction. I hear your cries. I know your pain. I have come down. I have come down to set you free. Now, here's what I want you to do in return. You shall, and we're gonna go through that. If God sets me free, doesn't it make logical sense in my heart that I respond by loving him and honoring him and wanting to keep and fulfill my commitments? If I love my wife, if you love your wife, if you love your husband, then doesn't it make logical sense that you just want to keep those commitments because you made a promise to him or a promise to her? And it's the same with God. So next week we are going to start jumping into the very first one, only cover the first six words, you shall have no other gods. We're going to look at what that means and why that's important and how we put other gods ahead of God and how he becomes put on the back burner or not on the burner at all and we worship and we bow down to so many other things in our society. And we're going to look at that next week, but it all starts today with this. It is the introduction of you and Jesus. Have you accepted him? Have you recognized that you are in slavery and in sin and in bondage and you are feeling hopeless in despair and you cry out and God hears those cries and he comes down to you and he says, I'm here for you. Will you accept me? The entire thing starts with the relationship that you have with God. 
Have you accepted Jesus as Savior? Have you accepted him into your life? If you said, Jesus, I need a relationship with you, would you please forgive me? Please come into my life and please help me walk with you. This is not religion. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. This is relationship. It's God reaching down to mankind. And that's where it starts. And if you've not accepted him, these commandments necessitate accepting the freedom that he offers. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to first pray for those in this room that have never accepted you as Lord and Savior. Maybe they have been living their own life and doing their own thing, following their own plans. Maybe they're just walking according to the course of this world. It's just the way that the world works, and they're just following along with what everybody else does and following with what the crowd says to do. And yet they realize that they're hopeless. They realize that they're helpless. They realize that they feel spiritually dead. And so it starts today with a relationship with you. So Jesus, as people are praying, saying, Jesus, I need you to come into my life, I pray that you would come down to them and that you would enter into their hearts and that they would begin this love relationship with you. That they would simply say, Jesus, please forgive me. I'm sorry for what I have done. I'm sorry for living life apart from you. Would you please come into my life? Forgive me and save me. Those that do that, Lord, it's an opportunity for them to step into the relationship. As we go forward, Lord, help us to have hearts full of love toward you and to see these commandments not as a burden, not as a list of laws and rules, but help us to see them as a way of showing love to the one who died for us. A way of showing and giving back to the one who gave his all for us, who came down to deliver us from where we were at. Lord, as we leave this place, just bless and protect each one. Help us to draw near to you every day in your word and in prayer and in Bible studies and small groups and fellowships. Help us to draw near to you. And Lord, help us to come back next week ready to dive into your word and understand how we don't want to have any other God in our life except for you. And if there are other gods in our lives that we identify, help us to remove that, repent of that, and be fully and solely committed to you. We thank you and we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.